Welcome back in to another episode of the Tide Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Blackwood, and today I'm joined by one of our newest members of Team Tide Talk, Jonathan Sanford. Jonathan, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great today. It's a beautiful day outside in the uh, low 70s compared to this time last week when it was 13 degrees. Stacy, what a turnaround here in the state of Texas, and I'm sure back there in Alabama, you guys are warming up just nicely. Yeah, m- much of the same here in Alabama. It's around 70 degrees. The sun is shining, so it's uh, starting to feel a little bit like spring, and I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, I know, and that certainly gets my mind turning because when you feel those temperatures go into the, the mid-70s, that tells you spring football's just around the corner. That's right. Just a couple of weeks, really, until uh, most of the SEC teams will start spring practice up, and we certainly look forward to that. But uh, actually, this episode is going to kind of be the start of a series of episodes where we look back at the incredible season that Nick Saban uh, and the Alabama football team had this past fall. Uh, where they captured the 2020-2021 national championship. And we're kind of going to kind of rewind this past season. And, and Jonathan, as we look at this, uh, obviously COVID was, you know, kind of threw a wrench into everything last year. 2020 was a rough year for everyone. Uh, just kind of opening thoughts when we look back at last year, did you even think we were going to have a season? I mean, how, how did you really go into last season? You know, I was back in, in May of 2020. I remember gathering with a friend of mine. We were out fishing uh, down in the Bay of Galveston, and and we were talking about the, the pr- prospects for the football season. And uh, I was telling him, hey, uh, I can't wait to make my way up to the Jerry Dome uh, in, in, at the beginning of the season. We're taking on USC. And, and he said then, he said, Man, I got to tell you, I'm hearing that that game's likely not to happen, and and we kind of you know debated back and forth a little bit, but then it became reality to me that that we weren't going to have that game in Arlington that I was so looking forward to uh, that fall, and really a- in May to even think that we would be playing football in September uh, come the end of September was um, I, I got to be honest, it was a surprise to me, but it was a welcome surprise. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm a hopeless optimistic, so I was always hopeful that we would we would have a season. And uh, but I, I would be lying if I didn't uh, mention that I had some doubts uh, during the summer last year about not having a season. But we did get a season. Uh, it turns out we got a ten game SEC schedule, and you know that all started late September uh, in Columbia, Missouri, against the Missouri Tigers and. Uh, as we talk about this game, just what were your kind of initial reactions to that game? Of course, uh, Eli Drinkwitz was, you know, first year there at Missouri, so that was kind of a interesting matchup for him. Welcome to the SEC. You get to play Alabama and Nick Saban. So uh, just kind of your thoughts there on the season opener. Well, first of all, like you said, welcome to the SEC, Drinkwitz, because Alabama gets added to your schedule uh, <laughs> due to the uh, SEC 10-game schedule, right? So welcome to the SEC after you know taking Appalachian State to a 12-1 record over in the Sunbelt Conference, right? I mean, here here's a guy at Missouri that coming into his first game at Missouri was going to be an SEC opener. And, you know, usually uh, Alabama, Missouri, all these SEC teams are accustomed to having, you know, kind of, I don't want to call them a cupcake game, but kind of a warm-up game for some teams. We at Alabama, though, we've had some incredible matchups uh, in the um, Chick-fil-A kickoff uh, 
games there in Atlanta. That's kind of Bryant Denny Stadium part two, right? Uh, but coming into this game, first of all, we were coming off an 11 and two season in 2019, which to many, and I'm going to put this in quotes, uh, was a colossal disappointment. Now, you even heard Coach Saban say about that 2019 season that they were disappointed the way that season turned out. Um, but when I was looking at the beginning of this uh, season, now knowing that we were going to play this first game in Columbia, Missouri, like you talked about, uh, my first thought was, how are we going to overcome the fact that we lost nine draft picks all in the first three rounds of that 2019 team, Stacy? Yeah, this it's unreal, really. I don't even know how to express uh, my thoughts around losing that many high round draft picks from one team and then turn around and try to, especially, you know, we talked about most of those guys are on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, four, four, four guys from the offensive side of the ball were taken in the first round. That's, That's amazing. Just, first of that all, is, that is incredible. You talk about guys like the two wide receivers and Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs. And of course the offensive tackle and Jedrick Wills. And then, you know, Miami selects two, uh, uh, in the top five. So, you look a team that just you know coming off of, like you said a, a colossal disappointment by Alabama standards with eleven and two season. You kind of wonder, you know, what is Nick Saban going to do here? You know, how is he going to uh, ride the ship, so to speak? Uh, obviously, eleven and two is a great season, but we do have a different standard at Alabama. So you kind of yeah. wondered what the, you know, how the team would react. You know, would they would they be able to execute? So. Uh, just a lot of question marks, really, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And, of course, in the 2019 season, the defense really struggled. They were a young group, so you also wondered how they would fare early on in the season. So a lot of question marks entering that game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I looked back uh, at that game in Missouri, one of the big questions I wanted answered in game one was how well would Alabama be able to execute offensively? I mean, here we are starting the season on the road, a conference opener, uh, against uh, Missouri, and you know, first guy that came to my mind, and I think for for you as well, Stacy, was Mac Jones. I mean, here Mac Jones in 2019 jumps in, is pressed into service for the Crimson Tide. Right, has four starts in 2019 due to the absence of Tua Tungavaloa. Um, but when you think about his stats, he what completed over 70 percent of his passes. Uh, in those four games, had over a thousand passing yards, one thousand one hundred and seventy-two to be exact. Thirteen touchdowns and two interceptions. By which we all remember, those were pick sixes against Auburn. Uh, but when I thought about it, I thought, okay, here's a guy that's been at Alabama for four years. He's had two years under Steve Sarkeesian, and I, I thought if if anybody can set this guy up for success. I felt like Sark was the guy that could mold Mac Jones to be the success that eventually we saw him to be. Going into game one, I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, uh, I think there was a lot of people. Of course, Bryce Young was the was the five-star guy. He was labeled the next dude there to, to take over the quarterback position in Alabama. And, uh, you know, we're certainly excited about his future at Alabama. But, you know, back last season going into to that first game, it was, you know, will, will Mac be able to hold on to the job? A yeah. lot of fans had that had that perspective on it. So I, I felt like Mac could handle the situation just seeing how he played in the four starts in 2019. 
uh, you know, really he made two bad plays and it cost Alabama the Iron Bowl. I mean, that's, you know, let's call a spade a spade. So, um, a lot of people had their doubts about Mac. Uh, you know, kind of thought he might be a AJ McCarry, you know, kind of game manager type player or a Greg McElroy. But obviously, Mac proved different last season. But he he probably was the biggest question mark heading into the year. And, and to be honest with you, I think a lot of people viewed Mac Jones as a transitional quarterback. And if you don't know what I mean by that, folks, they felt like that by maybe the third game of the season, Bryce right. Young would become the starter of that team. But Mac just performed at a level, and really and truly, from two standpoints, one from a leadership standpoint, became very vital to this team early on in this season. And also looking back at the way he responded to the end of the previous season, the bowl game against Michigan, he he won this team's trust from a leadership position, and then he went out on the field and won their trust from a performance standpoint. So... Uh, he was not a transitional quarterback. In fact, he was a transcendent quarterback, in my opinion, when you look yeah, back absolutely. at this season. So, uh, by the way, for those w- uh, listening into this podcast, a lot of people may not know this about uh, Mac Jones. Stacy, it's a surprise to me when I learned this uh, several months ago, but Mac Jones ran the wing T offense in high <laughs> yeah, school. That's I mean, kind of hard to imagine. I mean, yeah, I mean <laughs> – we all know Mac Jones, and then you think about him running the wing T offense. What a what a incredible thought process! But there was, like you say, there was questions about Mac Jones. I even had a few questions about Sark coming into this season. It wasn't really publicized that much, but Sark had had heart surgery during the off season during that summer. I mean, he had a an aneurysm located uh, near a heart valve. So here's a guy recovering from major heart surgery in the summer that really didn't get talked about very much in terms of overall media. But those of us that knew about it, you know, we're, we're really thinking about this guy's health and, and coming into the season, a lot of uh, responsibility in his hands to take this offense who had lost, like you say, four guys uh, in the first round, which again is incredible, but Sark uh, did a incredible job. I want to ask your opinion. First of all, though, Stacy, when you look at the offense from last season, we all know what happened to Jalen Waddle in the Tennessee game. But before that, coming into this game against Missouri, did you come into this game expecting that Jalen Waddle would be like Todd McShay talked about, the, the most dynamic offensive weapon in college football? Well, I certainly thought he had the the opportunity and the potential to be that player. And, of course, a lot of that depended on the quarterback play. So I uh, wasn't really sure what to expect from, from guys like Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell. But I want to touch on something about Sark real quick. And, of course, he, he's off to Texas now. But, you know, his first first couple of years there, uh, he had Tua. And Tua was, you know, really just an RPO-type player. He ran a bunch of RPO out of Alabama, and Sark kind of had to change schemes, really, uh, with, with Mac. Mac is not not an RPO guy. He can run the RPO, but Tua is a transcendent RPO quarterback, and, and Mac is more of the you know drop back pro style quarterback. And so Sark really had to change schemes, and uh, he had to develop a different style of offense for Mac. And then Mac just 
you know, as Saban likes to say, took the bull by the horns and uh, just took control of the offense and, you know, made plays. So a lot of, uh, you know, Sark did a really good job, and I don't think he gets quite enough credit for for how he kind of evolved the offense for Mac Jones to suit his skill set and the weapons that he had around him. Oh, that's that's such a great point. And, you know, looking back, I, I went back and watched this Missouri game as – as I was prepping for us to be begin these series of podcasts, looking back and you, you saw in this Missouri game, little moments that right. when you look at that Ohio state game, you say, Hey, that's something that, that they kind of tested early in the season. And, and one of those that stood out to me, you know, was that pre-snap motion that just drove, I mean, frankly, drove Ohio State crazy in that national championship game. And and one of those was in one of the first series uh, against Missouri offensively down in the red zone, that pre-snap motion. And if you remember the play I'm talking about against Ohio State where Devontae Smith went into motion to the outside and then came back towards the quarterback and then once again jetted back outside. Do you remember yeah. the play I'm speaking of? I do. I do remember. And, and and scored on that play and then did it to the opposite side of the field the next time they were in the red zone and scored on that play. Well, the first time they tested it out was against Missouri in this game and they really put it in their back pocket and I didn't see them use it a lot more consistently throughout the season, but boy, it sure came in Andy against uh, Ohio state. Right. Right. And and one thing about the motion, you know, in today's college football, a lot of teams use tempo to create an offensive advantage and Alabama runs some tempo, but, but Sark used motion to create advantages for, for our playmakers on the outside. Because when you send a guy like Devonte Smith or John Mechie or Jalen Waddle in motion, I mean, it just it, – it, it terrifies the defense is the only way I know how to put it. So it creates matchup nightmares, and Sark just did a masterful job of, of, of working all that out through the offense. And it also helped Mac Jones in terms of yeah. identifying uh, the reads because he knew as soon as he sent, uh, whether it was Harris in motion or, or maybe he sent uh, Waddle in motion or Smith in motion, once those players went in motion, he kind of knew – without very much doubt whatsoever if the opposing defense was in man, which I think helped establish some confidence with Jones early in this season that certainly paid off later on in the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, looking at this Missouri game, uh, you and I kind of both have the same re reaction. Missouri really showed up as a much more physical team than what I was expecting. That Their defensive I know we put up a bunch of yards and, and a bunch of points, but but their defense played physical and they were fast and they made some plays in the backfield. Uh, so I was really impressed with, with how physical and, and quick that Missouri defense was. Uh, absolutely, and that's one of the things when I went back and watched the game, it, it, it reminded me uh, of how physical Missouri was up front and how they tackled in space, you know, well. And, and the first couple of drives for Alabama – uh, their secondary did a great job, probably one of the best jobs we saw done on uh, on Waddle and Smith uh, all season. Uh, now we know it's the first game, but boy, they they were they played quite well early in that football game. Yeah, they really did. And, and you know, Alabama's defense with all the question marks they had coming into the season, you know, really up until late in that fourth quarter, they played a really good game. Uh, it, it was probably one of the defense's better games of the year 
really, especially for the first three quarters. So uh, both defenses really come out strong. And, and, you know, a lot of times in in opening games, the the offense does take a little longer to get in flow uh, than it does on the defensive side of the ball. But really both defenses played pretty well in that opening game. Yeah, I've got to agree with you 100%. And and I I looked at at the game as it kind of continued on. One of the first things that stood out to me was Alabama offensively changed up a little bit with Waddle, uh, trying to stretch the field more with Waddle, whereas in the previous season, he wasn't the downfield vertical threat that he was early in this season that we've just finished. And I thought it was a great change of pace for him uh, to be that vertical threat. And you saw the separation. I mean, him and Smith, if you go back and watch this uh, Missouri game, watch the separation ability these guys had uh, it, it was unbelievable this early in the season and, and the timing that Jones had this early in the season with those two guys. That's what impressed me the most in, in this football game was here we are the first game of the season and timing wise, Mac Jones was so well uh, in sync with Smith and, and Waddle. And that was just ultra impressive for me. Uh, you know, and for Smith and Waddle to kind of be smaller guys, you know, Smith is about 6'1", 180 maybe, and Waddle's, you know, 5'10", 5'11", 185 or so. But they could really go up and make the, you know, 50-50 plays. I mean, they just – they make those plays. And uh, when you have a quarterback that can put it, uh, you know, drop it in a bucket, uh, that's that, that makes for an explosive offense. And – you know, a lot of the reason for, for so much separation is there's there's two things. Of course, Smith and Waddle are elite wide receivers, but Sark was able to design plays where where they would just be wide open on a lot of cases. And uh I'm not sure that that defensive coordinator I'm sure that defensive coordinators are glad to see Sark move on to Texas because <laughs> I mean and it wasn't just Waddle or Smith I mean you watch Mechie on routes he's wide open there's not a guy within 10 yards of him on several occasions so just uh Sark was able to dial the plays up Mac was incredibly accurate throw with great timing and anticipation and and when the when they were covered, Waddle and Smith made the fifty fifty plays. So, just just an incredible start to the season. And uh, I'm not sure you really could have scripted a better start for Mac Jones. No, I want to encourage everybody if if you have a chance to go back and pull this game up, go to uh, a minute and forty two left in the first half because this was the moment for me personally, Stacy, where I realized that we were in very, very good shape with Mac Jones uh, at quarterback because there's a connection that he made with Jalen Waddell who uh, got behind the Missouri defensive back in the safety uh, for a 23-yard touchdown. And, yeah, the safety came over to help. But, man, Mac Jones put that ball so pinpoint accurate placed over Waddell's uh, outside shoulder, there was no way the defender had any chance of making that play. And, and at that moment, any question that I had about Mac Jones was answered, especially when it comes to his accuracy, because that that throw, and we saw several more like it throughout the season, was just spot on. I, I believe it was the best throw he made all year, just in my personal opinion. That, that play, it only goes down as a 23-yard touchdown pass, but he threw it opposite hash and dropped it in a bucket. I mean, he really did. He, he led Waddle right to the back of the end zone perfectly 
where no defender could have a play on the ball. And it, it was an incredible throw. And that speaks to the anticipation and the timing and, and just Mac's ability to throw with great accuracy. Just that was an incredible throw. Yeah, it really was. You know, a few things that, that stood out for me uh, in, in this ball game I want to touch on before we move ahead. And uh, one was Patrick Sertain. You know, I, he, he was no doubt, looking back at last season, the best press cover corner in all of college football last season. And, and Stacy, it wasn't even close. And, no. and and this first game against Missouri, they had some talented wide receiver, and he did, he did a very good job with those, uh, you know, talented guys from Missouri. That stood out to me. Um, Dylan Moses, as much grief as he may have gotten throughout the season, he played particularly well in, in, in this game, started off nicely in this game. Um, it was interesting as well. Mac Jones, who, who ended up only playing, you know, basically three quarters of the game, uh, gave way to Bryce Young in the third quarter who came in for, you know, at this point, I still think there was some consideration, you know, what is Bryce Young's role going to be? Is he going to be a potential starter later on this season? But he came in and, and what was funny to me, looking back at it, um, I was in the Jerry dome for Jalen Hurts first game. And I've known him personally since he was a little kid. And, uh, he fumbled on his first possession at Alabama <laughs> yeah. as a quarterback. And uh, we all remember that quite well. Well, Bryce Young did the same thing on his very first possession as an Alabama QB. And that turned out uh, well. And, and one final thing, uh, Will Richard. I mean, goodness, what a great uh, kicker. He he turned out to be for us this past season. Well, he uh, had his first field goal this season uh, in, in this game and, and started us off with a, a good uh, – a good bit of luck and skill uh, from a special team standpoint. Yeah, you know, Rockard being able to come in and make the field goal, you know, he, he was injured a lot his his freshman year, so it was good to see him back on the field and healthy and, and able to make that field goal, and that was kind of a sign of things to come as he didn't miss a field goal the entire season. I mean, when is the last time? I mean, Rockard was certainly, uh, let's call him money, right? Um, right. When's the last time? I mean, you'd have to go back um, 2007, maybe Tiffin. I mean, he wasn't uh, perfect on the season like Rockert was, but um, boy, we've had some some uh, interesting times uh, with field goal kicking. <laughs> That's the best over the way to put it. Yeah, I, I didn't want to you know dog it too much, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, the final score in this one: uh, Alabama 38, Missouri 19. Uh, Alabama for the first game of the season with 414 yards. Mack was 8 of 24, 249, and two touchdowns. Harris had a great day, 17 carries, 98 yards, and three touchdowns. I mean, come on, Stacy. Waddle, eight receptions, 134 yards, two touchdowns. Devonta Smith, maybe one of his lowest outputs of the season, <laughs> other than the Tennessee game, which we'll talk about later on. Eight receptions for 89 yards. Uh, defensively, Alabama gave up 322 yards, which, you know, uh, this day and time with the offenses out there, that's not a bad day. No, not a bad day at all. Not a bad day at all. Really a good way to start the year. You you play a team that is going to play hard and physical on defense. And Missouri wasn't a great offensive team, but – uh, late in that game, they were able to, you know, they switched quarterbacks out and they were able to find a little bit of success, but really just a dominant performance to start the year for Alabama. They pretty much done what they wanted to. 
but they did have a little pushback from Missouri. And, and you know, that, that was great as we lead into the next game against Texas A&M. Oh, I think you're exactly right. I mean, Missouri puts up 13 points in the fourth quarter, and what that did uh, was give Nick Saban uh, the the opportunity. Ammunition. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, he he was not happy. If you go back and watch his press conference, he was not happy with the way Alabama finished that football game. And one of the biggest things that Nick Saban preaches is finishing the fourth quarter. So you're right, gave him the ammunition that he needed as Alabama was going to face a test with A&M that I don't think a lot of people expected, especially at the end of the year, to turn out to be as much of a test as it was. Yeah, you know, it was uh, – it's so weird. We we talked kind of before we started recording how odd it was to play A&M so early in the season. And, of course, COVID is, is the really the reason behind all that. But uh, looking back uh, at the year that Texas A&M had uh, – this is really one of the best wins that Alabama was able to get on the year. I I, I got to agree with you, Stacey. And at the time, I didn't realize it. I, I really didn't realize it watching it that day. I knew they had great talent. I mean, Watermeyer, a tight end, was a great weapon for them all day. Um, I, I, the the little running back, I'm forgetting his name, um, but um, they had weapons. And, uh, you know, from all accounts at that moment, we didn't know what their season was going to be like, but uh, turned out to be a very quality win. Yeah, and, and you know, that was kind of a the coming out party for John Mechie. I mean, he he lit the game, lit the the defense up of of A and M for a total of five catches for 181 yards and two touchdowns. And then you know, defenses are thinking, "Good grief! Not only do we have to <laughs> got to stop Najee Harris, Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, but now there's this Mechie kid." who just put up 181 yards and two touchdowns against Texas A&M. What are we going to do to stop this team? Yeah, people were talking about who's going to be the third guy to step up for Alabama right. from the wide receiver core, right? And and Mechie just said, raised his hand that day and said, it's going to be me, guys, and there's nothing you can do about it. And he came out that day, as you said, torched them on the long ball, the the great throws again by Mac Jones, uh, the deep ball to Mechie. Uh, like you said, 181 yards, two touchdowns, that's – that's what we call a breakout performance. Yeah, and, and, and the offense averaged 9.9 yards per play Goodness. in that game for a total of 544 yards. Just, I mean, they, they, they really poured it on Texas A&M. You know, the game started out real close. It was it was 14 to 14 in the second quarter. Uh, and, and, of course, A&M kind of did shoot themselves in the foot a couple different times, and, and you can't do that against Alabama. When you do that against Alabama, it's going to be bad news. And and Alabama went on that huge 35-3 to run, and, you know, A&M had no chance after that. But just the offense in that game for Alabama, you really saw what Mac Jones was capable of doing, and uh, he really didn't look back after that performance. Uh, real quickly, Stacy, when you talked about A&M a few moments ago in terms of – the team that they would become, a lot of people may not realize, but Texas A&M lost a lot of guys opted out uh, at the beginning of the before the beginning of the season, especially at the wide receiver position. This was a huge blow to their offense, and it took a while for Mon to get on the same page. And if you look at that, go back and watch that game, you'll see that disconnection between him and his wide receiving core. But as that season went on, uh, they kind of you know developed that 
ability to be on on the same page. And from a wide receiver standpoint, A&M was a much improved team from the time we met them here in game two of the season versus, I mean, think about it. What would it have been like if we'd have played A&M, say, the uh, ninth game of the season? Do you think it would have been very, I mean, here we're talking about 52 to 24. Do you think that score would have been closer? Uh, I'm not sure Alabama scores quite, I mean, maybe six, eight points less, but the game's not going to be much different because by that point, Alabama was much better than they were, uh, you know, in game two as well. So, uh, I I believe that it's pretty much going to be around the same score, maybe six, eight points less for Alabama or so. But I, I do believe that Alabama was just, just that much better than A and M. Even if even if they play the game later in the year, you gotta you gotta believe that Alabama was much better in game eight or nine than they were in game two as well. Well, two things here as we you know kind of wrap up the talk about Texas A and M. The first thing is we just finished another situation, another season where Saban assistants were a well sought after. Would you agree? <laughs> right. Yeah, an understatement. Um. You know, coming into this Texas A&M game, Saban went, I think it was 20-0 and against his former uh, assistants. And Fisher, he's actually won more against Fisher, uh, 4-0, and than I think any of the other assistants uh, uh, under Saban. So at some point in time, is anybody going to say, maybe it's not such a great idea to hire all Nick Saban's assistants if he's going <laughs> to beat them every time? Eventually, that's going to, you know, that that coin's going to turn one day. A Saban assistant's going to finally get a win over him, and they'll they'll celebrate like it's, you know, uh, the greatest thing ever. But, wow, going 20-0 and 0, uh, at the end of this game against his former assistants, that's pretty incredible. It, it really is. I, I've... But the thing about it is, it's there's really hasn't been a team that that you could say is better than Alabama when, when he's facing his former assistants. You know, Kirby Smart's had a couple really good teams, and you know, kind of took Alabama down to the wire a couple different times. But uh, other than that, <laughs> there's been a lot of wins over very bad uh, either it's Jeremy Pruitt teams or Will Muschamp teams, or you know, guys that are just not just not capable of beating Alabama. So uh, while it is an incredible stat, none of them really had any kind of advantage going into the game. <laughs> well, and the other thing is I, I, I'm i always looking at, at special teams, right? I, I, it's one of my favorite aspects of, of college football. And it's been well documented, the struggle that Alabama's had special teams-wise at certain points of Saban's tenure. But one of the most incredible stats, and I remember that day thinking about it, was A&M missed a field goal inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. And it had been the first missed field goal by an opposing team in Bryant-Denny Stadium in many, many years. And it was the first field goal missed by an opponent against Alabama going all the way back to Georgia in the 2018 SEC Championship game. And uh, that was, I don't know why, but that had, that really hit me that day when I realized that doesn't happen very often, but it, we saw it happen a couple more times throughout the season. Yeah. You know, that's, that's gotta be some type of record for most, most consecutive games where teams do not miss a field goal against you. I mean, that, especially considering the woes that Alabama had had in the past with their field goal situation. So just a really unfortunate uh, set of circumstances there. That that is a wild stat. I, I mean, I cannot believe that. And I remember the kick that that 
uh, blank was it? Is it Blankenship that was at Georgia? Yep, Rodrigo Blankenship. That I remember him missing that kick, and that was a really important kick that he missed there. So uh, that that is wild to think about. Uh, but it, it kind of makes sense considering the woes that Alabama's field goal unit had been having the past few years. Yeah, Seth Small was the kicker for A&M that missed it. Uh, he was one of two that day, you know. So, hey, Seth Small got his name in the record books there for <laughs> right. an odd stat against Alabama. Final score, this one, number two, Alabama, 52. And at that point, number 13, Texas A&M was uh, their final score, 24. So the tide improved to uh, 2-0 and on the season. Yeah, just a, a great, a great win in the second game of the year against a, what turned out to be, you know, you know, you could argue a top four or five team in all of college football. So a big time win for Alabama. And it just, just kind of sh- the offense just continues to show that what their potential is and just a great way to, to kick off the season. You get that big road win against Missouri, then you come home and, uh, you know, you take care of A&M as well. Most definitely. Well, let's, uh, before we go on to A&M, let's, uh, hear from some of our folks here that, that help us out here on Tide Talk Sports. Yeah, I, I want to take a moment to uh, give you a little bit of news about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. All right, Jonathan, we're going to move on now to game three. <laughs> one of the most interesting <laughs> games and maybe maybe one of the most looked forward to games of the entire season as Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban face off in Oxford. Yeah, their first matchup since Lane's departure from Alabama. And, you know, when I when when Lane Kiffin took the job at Ole Miss, we knew this day was coming, right? Right. And, and we knew that Lane Kiffin, all he was going to think about, all he was going to focus on in, in the offseason pre- was preparing for this game. And, and, boy, you can see coming into this game, offensively, he spent a, a lot of time scripting plays and coming up with ways to try to uh, expose the Alabama defense. Yeah, you know the saying, uh, he threw the entire kitchen sink at us in that game. Uh, Lane, of course, everybody knows that he is a masterful play caller. He is a wonderful offensive mind. And he really brought it against Alabama and Nick Saban in this game. And, and of course, Alabama's breaking in a lot of new faces on the defensive side of the ball, especially in the secondary and Lane Kiffin took advantage of that in this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, you know, a couple of weeks prior, I believe it was, watching uh, Ole Miss in Florida. And, yeah, we knew that uh, Florida's defense was suspect at best, right? But looking at that stat line, when it came across the bottom of my screen that day, saying that they had put up 613 yards of offense – and 35 points on on Florida, who, by the way, uh, Florida actually put up 642 yards of offense against (laughs) Ole Miss defense and 51 points. But it still caught my attention. Like, these guys are capable of scoring points in in bunches. And I I guess my question to you, coming into this game, were you concerned 
at all? I mean, was there was it kind of an idea? Oh, it's it's Ole Miss. We'll we'll beat them somehow. Or did that in the back of your mind? What happened in fourteen and fifteen? Was it anywhere near your mind at all? Well, going into the game, I thought that that you know obviously Lane would throw everything he had at Alabama. I'm sure he wanted this game more than any game he had on the schedule. So I was expecting Ole Miss to to move the ball well and put some points on us. Now, I'd be lying if I thought they would rack up the amount of yards and points that they were able to uh, in the game. But I really thought that Ole Miss would play well, but uh, they they really exceeded my expectations going into the game, even after seeing what they did to Florida. Yeah, I mean, I go back to the very first possession, okay? They get the kickoff. And in less than a minute, they're already in the end zone. And I, I turned to my family members and I said, all righty then, it's going to be one <laughs> of those nights, right? And, uh, you know, it, it, it turned out to be an offensive display. In fact, uh, it was the highest scoring regulation game in SEC history. Wow. And, wow. and, and that that's impressive, first of all, um, for me. But but one thing that stood out to me, and I want to mention this before we go any further, is that is I still don't think Alabama covered the tight end. If if we played this game for 20 days straight, I don't think Alabama would have ever been able to cover Kenny Yaboa. He ended up with 181 yards and two touchdowns. That tight end, uh, I went to bed last night or that night with the tight end running in my brain. <laughs> yeah, right at the seam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he really he torched that Alabama defense and 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 like I mentioned, it's not an excuse, but the but the secondary was really young outside of of uh, Patrick Sertan, that really the secondary was all new guys and you could really tell that they were having troubles and difficulties uh trying to find a way to cover Kenny Yaboa who who who's really going to make a lot of money in the NFL. Yeah. He has a he has a great future in the NFL. So I mean it's not like they gave it up to some guy who's who's not talented but exactly. uh definitely a little better day than what I'm sure Nick Saban wanted him to have. Yeah, let's talk about Najee Harris real quick. I mean Whoa. we knew that uh uh, Ole Miss defense. It was the second worst run, de- uh, second worst defense in the nation, right? Uh, right, exactly. Run defense, second worst run defense in the nation coming into this game, and so everybody was kind of thinking before the game. You know, Najee Harris, man, he ought to have a great game. Well, he sure did. What twenty three carries, two oh six, and not one. Not to to quote LeBron James, not one, not two, <laughs> not three, not four, five touchdowns Incredible. on the night. Good gracious, Stacy. You, you know, and, and, you know, the defense makes the play late in the game to that really, it's crazy. I'm saying the defense made the play to seal the game, <laughs> but they, they did cause that turnover. But then, then Najee has that long touchdown run, yep. which I believe at that point in time was his, his longest, longest run of his career. Um, uh, like you said, finishes the game with five touchdowns, and and I just kind of on on this on a side note, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to to interview Joshua McMillan here on the ah, podcast, and, okay. and I, I want everybody to go back and listen to that if you yes. haven't already. But uh, he talked about how this Ole Miss game was really his first game as the starting fullback, and you know he he did a great job in the goal line situations there, and and really. 
Uh, Najee should have had, had maybe had six touchdowns in that game. If you remember, he fumbled at the goal line. That's right. And, uh, early questionable. In the game. Uh, questionable. Yeah, it was a very, like, yeah I'm pretty sure on, no Blow the whistle stopped. eventually, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, five seconds of not moving. I think the yeah. his uh, forward progress had been stopped. But Even my uh, 12-year-old son was sitting there beside me. He plays football, and he says, Daddy, wait a second. That's just not right. How long, how long <laughs> are they going to wait to blow the whistle? <laughs> yeah, but but I, I did want to give a shout-out to, to Joshua. McMillan, you know, he did a great job for Najee in that game and the rest of the season there at fullback. And that was really a natural position for him. And he was very instinctive and did a great job uh, in that package. I love how Saban has been able to use guys like that. Going all the way back to the 2012 season, uh, Saban has found guys like that that have been able to contribute at at fullback. And uh, man, Joshua McMillan, First of all, he's a class act. I mean, you know that. Uh, but what a great job he did in contributing for this uh, Alabama Crimson Tide. Yeah, really proud of the way. You know, that last year was his sixth year at Alabama. And, you know, instead of pouting that he wasn't going to be a starting linebacker, he thought, you know what, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity I have at fullback and, you know, <laughs> Let, lead Najee for nearly 30 rushing touchdowns on the year. So just it, it speaks to the volume of his character and, and just what a great teammate he is and and what the University of Alabama meant to him and how he kind of put his ego aside and learned a new position and, uh, you know, made the best of his situation. Yeah, I mean, one more time, folks, if you haven't listened to that podcast, uh, first of all, Stacy does a great job speaking with Joshua. Joshua, go back and listen to the part where – uh, he got called into the office basically and told uh, about his new role. It's very interesting. And I think you'll really enjoy it folks. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun to do that interview. And, uh, I really appreciated him taking that time. But, uh, once again, Najee with five rushing touchdowns, uh, he really showed off his entire skill set in that game. Uh, I'm not sure I've seen a back that's six two. 220 pounds, have that type of vision and balance. Uh, just uh, just an incredible athlete is really what he is. And uh, just a great game. And uh, he had a great senior season for Alabama. Uh, whenever the, the, the Tide needed to play, yep. uh, you go back to the Florida game, uh, those two receptions in the red zone for touchdowns, spinning off of Florida tacklers and taking it in the end zone. Just wow. I mean, the fact – I, I know that Devonte Smith certainly deserved the Heisman. So did Mac Jones. So did Najee Harris. I mean, so did Jalen Waddle. I mean, uh, what an what an embarrassment of of riches, but a, a blessing to watch as a as a, a fan or an observer even of the of the Crimson Tide. But hey, uh, again, the final score here sixty three to forty eight. <laughs> uh, and this was uh, game number three of the season. Uh, Stacy, um, I think we'll we'll stop there and, and pick this up in the next episode. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to, to covering, especially the next game, uh, because I believe the turning point of the season happened in this game, sure and that's what we're going to talk about uh, on the next episode. Jonathan, I appreciate you jumping on here with me today to to cover you know the 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 championship season, and we got to cover the first three games of the year, and what an exciting start it was to the 2020 season. 
Uh, it's been a privilege to do this so far. And l- like you said, I'm looking forward to speaking about the Georgia game. There were some great aspects of that game that folks may not have heard about that we want to share with you as um, the lead up to that game and then the actual game itself. Some very interesting conversation. We're looking forward to, to sharing that with you in the next episode. Absolutely. And Jonathan, real quick before we jump off here, won't you let everyone know how they can find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me uh, at J Sanford TTS. That's at J S A N F O R D T T S. That stands for Tide Talk Sports on Twitter. I'd love for you to connect with me. Send me a DM uh, if you want to talk some Alabama football. That's right. And of course, you can follow uh, Tide Talk Sports on Twitter at Tide Talk Sports. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Uh, we appreciate uh, everyone that gives us a listen. You can follow me on Twitter at Blackwood89. Until next time, roll tide.